Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Australian Jams after me taking an unexpected month off uh, just because, uh, you know, life happens, uh, lockdown in Melbourne happens, and I was just totally focused on AFLW stats for that month. So sorry, everyone, but it is how it is. Uh, But Australian Jams is back with a very excellent guest. I can't even remember what episode number this is. It's probably 71, I want to say. Uh, yeah. We'll find out if I'm right by the title of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, hell but today, yeah. <laughs> but today I am joined by someone who has been on the podcast before, but not on their own. Mm. Um, I'm very excited to have John O'Took here with me. Hello. Hello. Uh, it's hey. really good to be back. <laughs> uh, I'm actually so excited. When I messaged you um, and then we were like, oh yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it closer to when you've got a release. And then I completely forgot to message you and you actually had to hit me up. I was like, I feel so bad about this. But yes, let's do this. <laughs> I was like, I want to, Gemma, Gemma, I want to do this. <laughs> Please. How are you? I am well. I'm uh, navigating what it means to be uh, someone who wears black all the time and heat re- coming back <laughs> into my life. I am yes, because ex- you've moved to Melbourne, or you yeah. moved to Melbourne when you had just come on the podcast last time, right? Yeah, we were on the pod, I think, within like the month of us moving. Yeah. Um, and now I'm exploring my beach goth aesthetic with mostly black, <laughs> but I'm wearing jorts instead of jeans. <laughs> I mean, I'm wearing short overalls today, so Hell I'm totally yeah. down with this. Yes, it is hot today, actually. It's like 31 degrees in Melbourne today. Yeah, it's a doozy. Yeah, Oof. and I have an apartment whose windows face the afternoon sun. So, um, and yeah, I that's... forgot to close my blinds. So, you know, when we finish recording this, I'm gonna hate myself. But it's fine. Whatever. Yeah, we'll R.I.P. Yeah, that's um, it. <laughs> we all just deal with the consequences of our own choices, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> as unfortunate as they might be, <laughs> 2020 has given us a lot of wisdom. <laughs> Well, we did actually just talk about that, didn't we? Off off air was yeah. um, each of us are seeing both good and negative out of the twenty twenty year that's that's happened. Yeah, it's uh, we 
we were really hoping that 2020 was going to be the year of Cry Club in which, you know, we had Splendor we lined up. We had all of these things that were, like, really big goals of ours. And then, like, a, a, out of, like, monkey paw, kind of, like, any suggestion of, like, oh, maybe we should pull back from playing as many shows as we were doing so we can, like, you know, really focus on the ones that are good and really put together a really great show. That meant no shows at all. Um, and all of this stuff, just these like monkey paw moments just kind of hounded us down this year. <laughs> yeah. And, um, oh, you kind of have just mentioned it, but we haven't actually properly introduced you. Can you oh, tell yeah. those who don't know who you are, who you are and what you do, please? <laughs> um, yeah. So my name's Jono and I play in a band called Cry Club. Um, and we are at... Uh, I think by the point that this airs, we will have just released our debut album. Yes, which is very exciting. Yeah, which is And Heather terrifying. was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago as well. Heather is your bandmate? Yes, yes, my other half. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, I want to mention right up the top, uh, rather than at the end, where we talk more about the record. Yeah. I want to chat about... Um, I also just realized something that I did that was wrong. So we'll talk about that soon as well. Um, yep. <laughs> I have difficulty focusing at the moment. Uh, everyone can just deal with it. I want to mention the uh, photos and artwork that has gone into your record. Can oh, you yes. please talk to me about them? Because it's ridiculously good. Yeah. I, I, the ridiculous element, I think, is definitely a big part of us at this point. <laughs> um uh, a big thing for us, so we work with Julia McGoran, who is the queen of Australian music photography in a lot of Another different ways. Another previous guest of the podcast. Yes, we love Julia. and we um, love Julia. Uh, we have done a lot of our work, our visual work with her so far. We have a pretty strong, long relationship um, with her. And um, when we were talking about what we wanted to do for the album, it really came down to... I think there was this moment where we were kind of like umming and ahhing and I think I threw out the suggestion that it has to be the logical conclusion to what we've done so far. So it has to be the most grandiose, the dumbest, the most visually jarring, the most, <laughs> just the most, like the campest the thing we could do. So then uh, if you have if you haven't seen the image, it's uh, Heather and I on a green, a bright, neon green background wearing f like french like aristocratic outfits with these gigantic <laughs> hilarious wigs and like like horrific gr uh, red spray paint text saying the name of the album god i'm such a mess so that red and green that beautiful clash between those elements <laughs> yeah it's perfect yeah, it's ridiculous, and we're really happy with it. Oh, <laughs> uh, it is unbelievable. You've just every um, press shot you guys have had and stuff like that has always been just incredible, but it's always leveled up every time. And I'm so glad that you've done something so wild for this one because it, like, releasing an album is such a big culmination of a lot of hard work. Yeah. So it feels like the artwork had to match, right? Yeah, I think for us, um, we always, like every part of 
like releasing music and the, like the order of the songs you choose and the artwork that associated with it and the music videos and all that sort of stuff. We just see it as um, essentially adding like another chapter to the yeah. story of like, for, so for an audience member who has been with us from the start, they can look Me. through. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Raising my hand. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, you, I, my wish is that someone like that, someone like yourself um, can see the story of cry club develop so that way we're not um like funnily enough i'm watching like a lot of like trashy tv at the moment because 2020 is great and trashy (laughs) tv tends to repeat the same story a bunch but just repackages it slightly and that's something i think we're pretty conscious about making sure that we aren't repeating ourselves Um, and the stories that we're telling through that. So when we came to the album art, it was like, all right, we need, like, this is the, like, hypothetically, the end of era one. So this has to be the season finale of photos. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the big showy thing. (laughs) And was the, am I right in saying this was all shot during the first lockdown and it had to be shot really separately and stuff? Um, I think... I, I, to be honest, the the timeline I'm a little bit lost on, but I think the Nine of Swords one had to be done separately. Yeah. Um, and then I think actually when we did this one was in that we did the Nine of Swords one during lockdown, so Heather and I had to be quite separate. And then yep. I believe we did the album art one just as a stage of lockdown had lifted in that like middle spot that we yep. had in Melbourne because we were organizing with the costume shop and it was like this weird little balancing scheduling act where it was like, all right, where's Victoria with COVID cases and where is um, like the, how's the costume shop going? How's Julia going? How are all these different <laughs> elements going? Yeah. Um, so one threading it all was a little bit of trouble, but once we got there, we were just like, super happy with how it ended up amazing and uh (laughs) i implore everyone to go and see the final result i am 100 percent going to be posting the album cover on instagram as well i know i've been very slack on instagram recently as well sorry everyone uh but i will (laughs) definitely be putting it there so make sure you check it out um now jono yes (laughs) i realize that typically when mm. an artist comes on the podcast and we're going to talk about their album, I usually will choose a song from that album to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I was going to ask I... about that. <laughs> yep. Yep. So um, that's on me. Uh, yep. I got too eager with other songs and forgot about that part. So what we're going to do, and I'm and I'm making this up on the fly and everyone can hear it. What we're yep. going to do is we're going to do the episode as normal and then when we talk at the end, we're going to talk about it and then we'll choose one of the songs as an outro and people can listen to it as an outro. How does that sound? Yeah, perfect. Okay, good. Covered, <laughs> covered my butt there. Um, yep. <laughs> sorry. It, uh, I mean, it is what it is. That's the catchphrase of the year. Yeah, uh, we adapt. We adapt. <laughs> what what does what's Gillen McLaughlin been saying all year? Um, I can't remember. I'll, I'll come. I'll come to it. We have to be 
something. Anyway, uh, I'm <laughs> very sorry, everyone, for how this is going. Jono and the audience. <laughs> you have chosen three songs. I have yes. chosen three songs. Let's talk about them. Which yes. song would you like to start with? I would love to start with... Uh, from. Do you want to... Should I pick one of mine? Yes. Yes. Um, how about we start with Lost in the Middle with by Elizabeth Fader? Heck yeah. Okay, talk to me about this because I've uh, never heard of Elizabeth Fader before. Yeah, this is where I have to uh, disclose the absolute nepotism in this choice. Uh, Elizabeth <laughs> Fader is my cousin. Um, oh, cool. And she is the other musical part of my family. <laughs> In Sick. my entire family, it's me and Liz. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she just released this new song called Lost in the Middle. I think it's great. Um, yes. It, in me describing it to people, I've described it as, like, when I'm like, oh, yeah, my cousin Liz has just released a new song, it's like a cross between Fleetwood Mac and Grimes is how I've described it. Because I think That's she has that kind of, like, um, airy vocal tone that... Um, Grimes kind of explored on that delete track. Yeah. Um, and just that kind of very classic band vibe that you find in like Fleetwood Mac recordings. Yeah, totally. I The thing that I really noticed, because uh, I will generally prepare my songs, uh, taking notes as I listen to them, that sort of stuff. And this one I listened to in the context of the other five that we're talking about today. Mm. And I noticed that this one and maybe one of your others are quite bright compared to the others that we're going to be talking about today. Oh, yeah. So I <laughs> yeah. thought that was super – it was kind of refreshing in a way, listening to it as part of this group as well. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it feels like – um. 2020 and how we uh, process music is kind of like it's being influenced by the fact that we aren't seeing it in a live context. Like yeah. I'm noticing a lot, a, a bit of a trend towards uh, a lot more like intimate production and style um, without like really bombastic dynamics because yeah. it feels like bombastic dynamics is uh, a bit of a feature of live environments because that that's something that suits a live experience really well. Maybe not as much the headphone experience. If you're just like hanging out in your home, just kind of casually doing stuff with Spotify on in the background, you might not be as about the like gigantic um, shifts in dynamics. So this kind of like more steady pace, I think, yeah. um, it's something I'm like, is that a feature of 2020 or am I just like hearing music differently because I'm not seeing music live at the moment? But yeah, I just, I think Lost in the Middle has this like amazing texture to it that just makes it a really great listen. Not in a very, not in like a, um, oh, it's just mixed willow and all that sort of stuff, but it just, it's really cruisy experience, which feels odd for 2020 to me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that uh, this song, it probably, when you think about Elizabeth Fader and this song and the style of music that it is, I think all those descriptors are accurate in the way that style of music um, maybe has changed in this time. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll get into it with another one of your song choices in particular is a, an artist that probably fits that genre, but this release is very, very different and does miss a lot of those things that you've talked about. Whereas... Yeah. Um, some of the songs that I've selected, and I'm alluding to a lot of things that we will get Ooh. to, um, 
it's a, a stylistic choice that is uh, embedded in that kind of music. So yeah. it's not different in that genre as much as it is in this one, if that makes it. Maybe it's totally. like drawing from the quieter genres um, and yeah. learning things from them because in a live setting, both are conveyed very differently, if that makes sense. Totally. Uh, I, I'm i often thinking about um, uh, the intended... Uh, like where music is written and where it is intended to be performed often influence a lot of arrangement decisions and production decisions. So, for example, if you're a metal band and you're playing in... If your rehearsal studio is a really tight, small room that's not very reflective, you're going to tend towards writing faster, more intricate parts because you are going to be able to hear them clearer. Yes. Whereas if you're in a big, reflective room, suddenly... You're Black Sabbath now. You're slow. You're doomy. <laughs> the whole thing. To the extent where um, one of my favourite bands ever, Converge, they are known for really abrasive, fast, intricate stuff. But they actually did some shows in the UK that they called like the Blood Moon shows where they just like played the slow songs in a really big hall with a bunch yeah. of guests. They had like Chelsea Wolfe on back, backing vocals and all this amazing stuff. And they just played the slow songs in a really big room. And they were like, oh, no, this works really well. Like, And another one of like one of my favourite band's daughters, their early stuff is so scratchy and intricate that on a large stage, it just turned... It's the sound of bees. So their new record <laughs> is like... You can hear that it's intended to be done in a larger space. Yeah. So same thing with a lot of this stuff we're talking about, like about it being 2020 and understanding it in the 2020 context, the idea that it's being written potentially more in isolation, you are having less interaction with the musicians around you and you aren't expecting to be playing shows with this stuff is probably, even if you're not super conscious of it, it's probably influencing a lot of the decisions you're making as a songwriter or as in the production process, you know? And I'm just, yeah, so interesting to me. I think that's a really interesting point as well is that um, one of the, maybe it was the episode with Heather, um, mm. I'm not sure, but one of the episodes I did that was still during massive lockdown, yeah. um, you could hear in the lyrics that a lot of these lyrics were maybe being impacted by um, the current situation of the world and things like that, where it's interesting that you're picking out things that aren't necessarily lyric-based but are still being impacted by it in a certain way. And yeah. maybe there are artists who um, have always worked online and fairly isolated and maybe their music won't change too much, but a lot of others will if they're used to being in a room like you've said you are, um, totally. used to being in a room and feeling each other's reactions to things. So that's quite fascinating, I think. Yeah, it's... I think... I'm just so curious about, like, usually the release cycle for artists is like they might write a song and then it might take like a year or two to come out sometimes. Like sometimes that lead can be pretty long. So I'm very curious about what it means for a lot of current music that will be released maybe not even this year and in 2021. Like is there going to be stylistic features? Like, for example, in 2019, there would have been a lot of artists who were looking at going like, yeah, disco. Because that 2020 has been the year of disco. But it's also been the year in which disco couldn't properly happen because we weren't able to be in clubs for it. Like, Chromatica yeah. should have taken over the entire world. 
and it did really well but 2020 should have been the year at which chromatica like took over but it's club music and we're not allowed in clubs Funny that you mentioned disco as well, because Kylie Minogue has just released a single called Disco, so that's where we're at. Yeah, um, <laughs> 2020 year of disco. 2020 year of disco. Um, should we hear a bit of this song though? Yes, absolutely. We've talked, <laughs> we've waxed plenty <laughs> of lyrical on this. <laughs> yes, we have. Um, this one is called Lost in the Middle. It's by Elizabeth Fader, and we'll be back in just a moment. That was a little bit of Elizabeth Fader's Lost in the Middle. That was Jono's first song, Who is a Member of Cry Club? And I'm very happy to have here with me uh, via internet chat because even though we are out of lockdown, I am still paranoid uh, and don't want to make people come to my house. So that's why. That is more Uh, than fair. Yeah. Also because, you know, um, I actually have the cricket on in the background too, and I don't think I'd get away with that if Jono was here. So (laughs) be like, Gemma, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Um, I also feel like I need to say that I, uh, again, with the, with the opening up of Melbourne, um, you know, going back to the gym, it's all good in theory, but then when you need to laugh the day after, you know, your stomach hurts a lot. So I'm cringing a lot every time Jono makes me laugh. Uh, (laughs) Just so you get a bit of the atmosphere of today. Yeah. Um, my first song, my first song for today is unsurprisingly an Alexander Big song. Hell yeah. It's called Low. This is the song I was kind of referencing when we were talking about Elizabeth Vader and the kind of stylistic choices that um, have been made when I was saying that maybe there are other genres where they don't necessarily make that many those many changes in terms of dynamic and things like that is because maybe different styles of music don't lean on that as much. Um, Mm. And I think this is an example of that. Um, I've really missed Alexander Biggs, like close mix. I think the vocal, he's really good. And and I believe he did most of this on his own at home. Um, the, The vocal sounds really intimate all the time. And then the way he layers the vocal, I think is just so beautiful and delicate. And it really showcases the beautiful parts of Alex's voice. And he doesn't have a conventionally, um, you know, amazing singing voice. It's, it's beautiful, but it's just super interesting at the same time. And of any song I've listened to during lockdown of, any song this is the one that makes me wish i could be in a live setting to see it yeah which is such an interesting thing after talking about the elizabeth fader thing where we're talking about like loud dynamics being something a feature of the live environment whereas the the intimacy of that live environment is something else as well like i on alex like i he is consistently one of the best singer songwriters in australia and i think he i think in the last, you know, couple of years of development in him figuring out who he wants to be and the things around him shifting and all this sort of stuff, it the relief I have about it coming good because it's come so good. The last yeah. batch of songs that he's put out has been 
crazy consistent. Like, yeah, he would release a song that's like immediately, oh, this is one of my favorite songs right now. And then he puts out his next song and I'm like, this is one of my favorite songs right now. <laughs> and then that loop just keeps happening. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I, I feel like we should mention that Alex was actually in the US at the time of like the major shutdown at the start of the year. Alex was meant to be playing South by Southwest, which got cancelled and doing all these things. And, and similar to Cry Club, there were all these amazing things lined up for the year and then everything just stopped. Um, and I think Alex is so reflective and... Um, he sees the world or can express what he sees in the world really differently and really eloquently. And that I think has leaned into what he's done with a lot of these songs. And I know a lot of these songs had been recorded, you know, much earlier in the year or, or late last year, but he is able to hit on those emotions that the current world situation has made a lot of us feel and that's the thing that I love about music is like it's a way that someone else is somehow able to express exactly how you feel and able to help you identify it um in a way that makes it feel a little bit better for you and that's something Alex consistently does too yeah I think Alex is one of those people who um because of the kind of music he makes and the intimacy of that, it's really well suited for a world in which he is by himself. He is working on this stuff in a closed loop. Like, yeah, I just... I, I think about those artists who were over in South by Southwest when everything locked down, and I think about how it must feel to be like, yeah, I'm going to be doing all these things, and then plans change. And I suppose I, I wonder what it means for Alex to have that all that sort of stuff happen but also land in a position where he's like yeah cool album time like yeah he spent the year working on this record which yeah is undoubted like I he's one of those artists that I feel like really confident and when that album comes out I'm gonna be like cool this is gonna be one of the albums of the year like without question yeah, and also we should mention that his manager, Sabby, is the greatest person alive and would not let a bad album come out. So uh, just, <laughs> you know. We love people like that who refu- refuse stuff like that taking place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, no, yeah. you're better than this. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and I don't, I don't know, more nepotism. Sabby's my best friend, so um, we always have to recognise how great she is. Uh, <laughs> Pay your specs. Yes, pay respect. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he has this album coming out. You can actually pre-order it on vinyl at the moment. So I highly recommend everyone go and do that. Um, the record looks incredible, not just in terms of it's going to sound amazing, but, like, the artwork is beautiful as always. So highly recommend. Um, this is A Little Bit of Low by Alexander Biggs, and we'll come back in just a moment. a little bit of low by alexander biggs um jono 
What is yeah. your second song for us today? I don't know why I'm so stunted all the time. I am from Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> we've got these different affectations going on. Um, I'm yeah. going to play my next pick is Eilish Gilligan's Flesh. I yes. am an Eilish Gillistan. Um, <laughs> I am uh, one of her biggest fans. Um, I think she is phenomenal. And I think this new song reflects um, a element of self-confidence and a distillation of her voice sonically, um, yep. both vocally and as a producer that I really am just excited for what this means going ahead for her. Yes. So this is when we were again talking about the Elizabeth Fader song. Um, this was the other song I was referencing in, in that um, we're hearing artists of that genre explore different things. Um, mm. And I think Eilish, this, this song fleshed by Eilish Gilligan is a really clear example of that. It's so much um, sonically darker than what we've previously been used to from Eilish. It's probably more, I want to say demure, but I don't mean it in a negative way. It's just more downplayed a bit. And yeah, yeah, like you said, it doesn't have those big dynamics in it. Um, Yeah. yeah, It's a fascinating release from her. Totally. It it feels like it's more, potentially more in line with that, um, uh, that current wave of um, like really, there's like like emo pop stuff that's going on where it's like really cloudy. There was like yeah. this like um, like around 2011 or so. There was that like uh, cloud rap thing that got like brought into the trap scene. Uh, this whole thing, but it feels like Flesh is like I I could hear the production of Flesh behind someone like Joji, for example, well, whose album I fucking love. Yeah, and it's phenomenal. But there's this sense of like. Um, intimacy with it, which I think is just, say, with the Joji stuff and other artists of a similar ilk, it just feels incredibly contemporary to me. It feels like the current moment in a lot of different ways. Um, and it's really exciting to hear Eilish on that. And hearing Eilish, I I could be wrong, but I feel like that I, I'm pretty sure that this is her first song that she's done producing herself. Um, fully herself yes i think yeah. it is because she's been spending time on twitch during the lockdown and, and doing yeah. a bunch of stuff in on there which is fascinating yeah she's um an artist who i think adapted to what 2020 kind of put in front of her incredibly well where yeah. she recognized like here's what's working here's what's not so let's look at the options that are available in front of us and i think a lot of different artists kind of looked at 2020 and said all right there's a bunch of different ways that we can approach this. And everyone kind of took their little bets in the way that they did on what was going to be important to them. And I think Eilish really picked something and committed to it fully, which has resulted in her developing this platform. Like, Flesh was written on one of those live streams. Yeah. Start to finish. Which is insane to me because I can't do anything, let alone in front of people. (laughs) Well, that's the interesting one. It's like seeing... Um, pulling back the mystique of how this stuff works is a really interesting part of what she's doing where I think a lot of traditional uh, music media and how artists kind of present themselves is dependent on a layer of mystique where we're yeah. like, oh, this artist, like the the classic story of Bonnie Ver disappeared into the woods and came out with his debut record. Well, it's like, well, here's a guy who had been playing in bands for ages, took his Pro Tools rig to his 
dad's cabin yeah. while because he was unwell and he needed a place to rest. So then he rested and he was bored, so he made an album. And then suddenly it's this mystical thing about this guy going to the woods. And <laughs> that that mystique is such an important part of how we've marketed music to people in a, for a lot of ways. So then to see Eilish break that down and go like, there are no barriers, you can see how it's done because I'm going to do it on stream. And you can see me do it successfully. You can see me fail. Like... A lot of musicians, I think, we're quite uncomfortable with failing in front of people where we yeah. might make something that we're not fully proud of, but that's part of the creative process is knowing that not every time that you get behind your instrument or your recording software of choice, not every time is going to be a winner. And accepting that it's a dice roll is like a really interesting thing. But then for someone to do it on stream is just a whole other level, which I... A, you know, I think is so deeply interesting to for what Eilish's audience is going to be after all of this. Like, yeah, how does Eilish Gilligan's audience land in 2021 when we start doing live shows again? Because people are going to have this such a deep connection to her through Twitch and they're going to know more about these songs, you know? Yeah, and I think um, it, I should clarify i teach uh uni students in music business um so i reference cub sport a lot when we talk about marketing music and how without a manager what they've been able to do is remarkable and it's all through harnessing their engaged fan base and they do that through social media and that's something eilish has absolutely tapped into and Mm. it's 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 a vulnerable thing to allow that sort of insight which you've already mentioned but puts you in so much better stead in the long run because your fans feel so much closer to you as well and then therefore they want to see you do well they're invested in what you're doing and eilish is absolutely and i know um and i should mention as well that eilish i'm actually speaking to on friday so she's the next episode of australian (laughs) jams you know this because your manager is also her publicist so it's all linked in together um but you know, she's also struggled with the lockdown because she's totally. living in a place where she's not that close to friends. When there was a five kilometer um, radius put on everyone, she wasn't within, you know, the area of being able to see friends. So it has been a struggle. So she's channeled all that into this, you know, Twitch stream persona, I guess. I shouldn't say persona because it's still her as a person, but she's found a way to have an outlet and yeah. it's going to prove to be a positive for her in the long run as hard as this year has been yeah that strikes me as such an interesting thing where it's like a lot of artists who are presented with the situation of what lockdown has meant for a lot of us like what we chose to gamble on and Mm. like eilish and picking the streaming platform and like this the environment that is streaming and what that means like it, I, it's going to pay off in a way that we like Cubsport are an amazing example of social media and marketing and all this sort of stuff because they're just one of those acts that even when um, so I used to play guitar for Beck Sandridge um, in yes. I think it was about 2016 or so and we did a tour with Cubsport and we yeah. as part of those tours there was the occasional under like uh, uh, all ages show yeah. And my God, 
they connect to a young audience so incredibly well to the point where like venues would have to kick them out because the they the audience would be one like lining up the merch desk to meet and greet and so, all this sort of stuff at shows to the point where the venues would quite often go like no we need to like you've done the matinee and there's still so many people here we need to prepare for the show that's at night can you leave please cuz the yes. wash of people involved in this right and yeah i think eilish is on track to be the new example of okay australian artists using streaming as a platform in the same way that we talk about co-sport and social media, which I think I just, I'm incredibly excited for her. And I'm like, I think she is going to be held up as the example of how to do it right. Yeah. Yeah. And I referencing um, the class I teach again, because it's fresh in my mind, but you know, the way the world has adapted to tools that largely it's been the gaming, the um, like, you know, video gaming industry, I should say gaming means something else, I guess it means yeah. betting, which <laughs> I don't like um, the video game industry have been using for years and harnessing those tools to make them adaptable to other industries, particularly yeah. entertainment industries has been really fascinating. And I think we should mention as well that, um, not a a musician but works heavily in the music world, is Michelle Grace Hunter, who is a music photographer. Well, she's a photographer, but mostly a music photographer. Um, She has also done it really well, and she's kind of the gold standard in terms of photographers doing that. So Eilish is kind of... Both of them kind of launched at the same time, their Twitch streams. Both of them have done incredibly well. And being in two different areas of expertise seeing the way each of them have tackled it has been really interesting. And yeah, I think absolutely. that it, it, they're going to be held up, as you said, as the standard going forward. And a lot of people are going to be trying to emulate what they've managed to do. Yeah. Like I'm so curious about what it's going to be for an artist because Eilish is, I think it's really easy to call what she's been doing an unmitigated mm. success. If you yeah. shift, if you shift and take that strategy and can get it to work. And a lot of it is dependent on being able to perform songs as a solo musician. If you can get that to work for you, there is a, there is now an example of someone who's done it incredibly successfully. So I'm just like, it's a, a moment where 2020 has forced a change and has potentially blown it open for, cause there is going to be someone who starts streaming because Eilish did. There's going to be people who start looking at these platforms in a different way because of Eilish, especially within the Australian context. Absolutely. Um, I vote Cry Club live streams. I'm just saying it. Uh, <laughs> we would love to. Because your studio is in Heather's house. So there's no excuse. Yeah, we've been looking into it a whole bunch. Um, but in that world where we're talking about, like, if we're putting all of our chips in one place, um, we put our chips somewhere else. Yes. <laughs> to be vague. <laughs> well, that and that's where we'll leave it for the time being. Yes. Um, okay, let's listen to a bit of the song. This is called Flesh. It's by Eilish Gilligan and we'll come back. Six more weeks and there's not drinking you up in the back of the bar in summer. Won't get used to it till you're made out of flesh and you're real. Are you taller than me? Are 
Flesh by Eilish Gilligan, who we both adore, who is the next guest on Australian Jams. Um, so we haven't heard the last about Eilish from this podcast, unsurprisingly, because we love her. Um, my next song for this episode, another, actually all three of my song choices are by ex-guests of the podcast. Um, <laughs> I just realised then. No, uh, that's nepotism. It is nepotism. I feel terrible. Um this one is from Raya Park and it's called Kill It Now. Um, I think when uh, I last included um, a Raya Park song on the podcast, I, I probably said, or I recall saying to someone um, that I, I really like her songwriting, I really like her voice, but she hadn't quite managed to transfer the strength and the power she has live across to her recorded music. Yeah. But I think this song is the first time I've heard her achieve that. Um, her vocal control is unbelievable. Um, I, I love how soulful it feels. But again, it after having seen her live and hearing a lot of her earlier releases, I think that this song, when I sit there unless I'm like, Yes, this is the same artist that I saw tear up the stage. And it's so totally. exciting. It feels like this whole new world for Raya Park. Yeah, this is an interesting one to me because I'm not as um, familiar with the back catalogue of Raya Park yep. as I am with some of the other artists. And listening to this song, it felt like it represents like a lot of... Um, it seems like it's landed on a really unique solution to a problem that happens for a lot of um, people who have really beautiful, strong, solely bluesy vocals and come from a place where they have this strength in their vo- uh, in their voice, is that how do you navigate transferring that into a contemporary environment? Yeah. How do you transfer having a really strong soul voice and bringing that into a place? where the current standard, like one of the the biggest star in the world in terms of like vocally at the moment would be Billie Eilish, someone who is most famous for being as quiet as she is, you know? The current trends are towards softer things. So then hearing someone so powerfully solve the problem of how to navigate bringing this style of voice into a contemporary environment, it just feels awesome because it's just like someone who's landed on such a clear specific solution that works so well. Like I I was like immediately um, impressed with how well it, it, how well it achieves all of these different things. Yeah. It's just, um, I don't know. I've been feeling incredibly uninspired when it comes to new music recently. And, and anyone who's listened to, the International Marmalade episode that would have come out last week um, would know that because I ranted about it on there. Yeah. But this song was one of the songs that really snapped me out of that feeling. It feels, yeah, just powerful. I can't get past anything but the word powerful for it because um, it just exudes out of this song and listening to it, it kind of, as much as it's a little bit dark and, and a lot of, right, its backstory is quite dark, 
listening to it makes you f- kind of take that on a little bit and feel yeah. like you could almost do anything. You can get through anything. Um, and yeah, that it's been uh, an important um, motivation setter for me in the past little while as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a really impressive song. It's a yeah. really impressive Go song. Go Raya. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I, um, I've got vocal fry going on here, so let's listen to a <laughs> bit of the song and I'll take a drink of water and see how we go from there. All right, this <laughs> is Kill It Now by Ryan Park. We'll come back. We should kill it now while it's still good. That was a bit of Kill It Now by Raya Park. Thank you very much to John O'Took, who's joining me today from Cry Club, who allowed me to go and close my blinds because I forgot to, and it's really hot today. So hopefully it cools down a bit. Yes. Um, Jono, <laughs> that's just an insight <laughs> into my boring life. Um, Jono, uh, yes. what's your final song for us today? <laughs> my final song for us is Jamaz on Mars's Tomorrow. Um, yes. We... Actually, with Cry Club, we crossed paths with Jamaz on Mars. I wasn't super familiar with him prior, but we played um, Heaps Gay, a organisation based out of Sydney, put on a festival called Roadwork at the start of the year. And uh, we caught him at that because we were playing later that day and we were just immediately captivated by the guy. He's one of the most charismatic people on stage you could imagine. And I think tomorrow, the the recent song that he's put out is a great. It feels like it's like the moment where it's the the dots are connecting really strongly for him. Where it's like we're combining these like really subtle hip hop things with like this jazz background because he's like a really great horn player as well. Um, yeah. And it, the song itself feels like it's. Um, like a really strong distillation of who he is and his influences, but also like he's an amazing like activist. Um, he's oh wow, deal- he's um, making this big push for Australian schools to um, ban discrimination towards Afro textured hair because that was something oh, wow. he experienced when he was in school. 
So yep. he's being like interviewed by the ABC. He's doing all this stuff, which is great. And um, yeah, he's making this really big push for it, which is sick. That's amazing. Um, another artist that I had actually not heard of until you sent through. So thank you, Jono. Um, <laughs> this sounds so uh, basic, um, uninspired maybe. Um, this song's just really sick. Yeah. <laughs> like I genuinely just really, really loved it. And I, I don't have all the uh, wonderful words that you do to explain <laughs> why I liked it. I just really fucking like this song. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's something that I can't wait to hear live. I can't wait to yeah. see this in an environment where everyone's dancing because it feels like it's built for that. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I was definitely at midnight last night bopping along to it uh, at my kitchen table. So Hell yeah. I can definitely see that in a venue being a much better experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, there's a million things I could say about Jason. I think he's just. I think he's one of those people that just has this energy about him that brings that out of people. And the fact that he's able to bring it to his recording so well, it's like the second he, he I hear a song from him, I start smiling. And um, this song is just like one of those ones that does it for me. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a, like a party, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, that's sick. Uh, okay, let's hear a bit of this one. It's Jamaz on Mars. It's actually spelled, I'm going to spell this out for everyone, J-A-M-A-R-Z... O N M A R Z, no spaces, all one word. Go and find yes. it. Also, it is linked in the show notes, like every other artist is. So, go and check that out. This yeah. is called Tomorrow, and we'll be back for my final song. That was a bit of Tomorrow by Jamaz on Mars. That was Jono's final song for today. I say that, but realistically, we are going to play another one of his songs, but it's actually his song. Yeah. Um, my last song is, as I said, another previous guest of the podcast. Uh, I've said all the superlatives about this person before. I think she's an unbelievable talent uh, who makes the right choices when it comes to her music um, and this is no exception to that I've chosen Dwell by Odette um, it gives us a bit of a different look at Odette I think it it still retains those qualities like it's still she uses her voice um, really perfectly and yeah. you know the song structure is really great and it's got all those things in it but it kind of pushes the boundaries a little bit more than what we've heard from her before and even earlier this year, she has actually released a song with Hermitude and she's released a song uh, with Alice Ivy. Both of those, I feel, could very, mu very much fit in the um, Odette debut album era, whereas I think this kind of signals a mark for the next era. It, it totally. kind of is a separating point for me. Yeah. Um, and I have been listening to the uh, Odette's debut album 
non-stop for a couple of weeks amongst the Gordy albums and DMA's album and Alice Ivy album. I feel like I should say that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, this feels very much like a distinct new start for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's very exciting because it's a fucking great song in the, in the you know, in the meantime. Uh, yeah, this song feels like it's uh, expanding what an Odette song can be which I really yes. love. Like previously when I thought of Odette and I don't mean this in a disparaging way at all, I kind of would imagine certain textures. I would go yep. like her voice with a piano. Like I, I feel like that, that place was something that she explored really well, not in that she like overexplored it at all, but it feels like I, I understood what an Odette song would be. Whereas Dwell feels like it's the moment where that, like, that has broken in, like, a really interesting way where it feels like I'm now in a position where the next Odette song, I don't know what the fuck it's going to be, you know? Like, sorry, I, p- I picked a bad time to say that when you were drinking. <laughs> I was drinking water and I just decided to spit it all over everything. Good. No, it's um, okay. It's okay. Yeah, like, I, I, there's always this really interesting moment, I think, for artists who take that that moment where they go like, now you don't know what to expect from us. And that's the moment where you catch me where I'm like, okay, I'm in, I'm really in. If I don't know what you're going to give me next, that's, that's like my way into a project where I get really excited. And the thing about that is it's not just the production underneath that is giving you that the way she's singing. Oh, that's a bad S whistle. Uh, It's the way (laughs) she's singing this song. Yeah. That also gives you that. It's not like her vocal has kind of remained the same, but what's happening underneath is different. It's the whole thing that has those differences to it. Totally. Which I'm always really curious about. Like this that moment of like development that we see in artists where it's like you've hitting you're hitting you've done your debut record. What's next? Are you gonna toe the line over the previous record or are we doing you know the reinvention are we are, are you suddenly going to pull a kid a and do a hard left <laughs> like <laughs> who knows which i think is the really fun thing that odette seems to have landed incredibly well with this song is that it's like it's the odette we know and love but yeah. in a new way that feels fully new to her it feels like i can hear how excited about the song she is if that makes sense 100 percent and I don't. Uh, I would imagine this is uh, signaling a forthcoming album or at least record, mm. uh, which is very exciting to me as well. Because I'm. I'm just gonna say it. I think the people that, you know, I hang around with are sick of me playing the previous record. So when there's a new <laughs> one, it means I can mix it up a bit more. Yeah, they um, can get sick of that one too. <laughs> <laughs> and then we switch back to the first, and then we just keep rotating that way. It's yeah. perfect. Perfect solution. Exactly. <laughs> So let's hear a little bit of it. This is called Dwell. It's by Odette. And we'll come back and talk about Jono's music. Yeah. <laughs> watch me on the ceiling as my body floats And my head's underwater with seaweed around my throat Then I double down heaving, I will always leave when I can tell it about to blow I'm getting higher high, the lows is what I do Like I haven't come home yet. 
you just heard a bit of Dwell by Ojet, uh, I did take us on a detour in that break to talk about football. Um, but I know we're back. What I I'm for. back on track. Sorry? <laughs> I know what I signed up for. <laughs> yes, you do. You've experienced this before. You've been in this room before. You know what yeah. it's like. You can see all the newspaper clippings, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So, Jono. Yes. Your new album, by the time this comes out, I, I say new album, debut album, yeah, by the time this album. comes out, will be out, which is incredibly exciting. I have had the privilege of being able to listen to it already. Mm. Um, and holy shit, it's really fucking good. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> can you talk to me about how, you know, how you've had, we, we've have discussed a little bit, but the way you've had to adapt on the run and be malleable this year to make it happen outside of what your initial expectations were? Yeah. So a big thing for us was like we we were expecting to actually release the album in May. Like that's one of the, the big things was that the album was due a lot earlier than it actually kind of came out to be, which influenced it in a bunch of different ways. It meant that we could take a bit more time with it. It also meant we weren't rushing it, but it also gave us the opportunity to have a look at a couple more songs. So the initial intention for it was to not have lighters and quit on it. Um, okay. Because both... Uh, I was I had personally been thinking quit is going to be the first song of album two. You know, like I was like, let's save it, you know? And... <laughs> Lighters was written in the first lockdown. So that would have been like an obscene turnaround to get the thing on there, you know? Yeah. Um, so we were in a position where it was like, all right, well, in March when stuff started going down, we just started going like, all right, we're pushing it back. We're pushing it back. We continue to push it back. And then we, in that process of giving ourselves, giving ourselves more time, let us, um, let us put the finishing touches in a way that we weren't planning to, you know, like yeah. we weren't planning for some of these changes to be this way, but I couldn't be happier with how those things, like I had been looking so much for like, I really wanted a ballad on the record. I really wanted a ballad on the record. Um, but we, whoop, I just scooted my chair. <laughs> um, you did just yeah. kind of disappear. Just like, dude. <laughs> um, yeah, I really wanted a ballad on the record, but we aren't very good at forcing ourselves into writing. Like, we'll write whatever we're interested in in that moment. We're never able to force ourselves into something and be really satisfied with it because we come from a place where if we don't think a song is honest enough, that thing ain't flying like it it really has to speak to us in a way that means that it has to be honest so when lighters showed up because songs just show up we (laughs) i was just like yes finally um (laughs) and like it's it's weird because this is a moment where it's like it's that song in particular represents probably one of the most different songs on the record so in knowing that there's probably going to be a bunch of people who listen to the record and go like oh yeah but lighters you know it's too different or like they might there might be like the people who skip it or something but i'm like the satisfaction that comes from knowing that we've made something that has the potential of being divisive is like incredibly satisfying to me you know like the the uh, the world in which someone could go like 
oh, I like this part of Cry Club, but I can't stand that part of Cry Club. I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, when you push the album back, what was the reasoning for it? Was it like, oh, we don't know how long this is going to last, so let's just see what happens type thing? Or was it like, oh, this could take a while, therefore we're going to take this time and, and do some different things to it? Well, uh, a big thing was like we, everything we've always done with Cry Club has been centered around the live show. Um, so yep. we've always been driving everything from the perspective of anything that's not the live show is a poster for the live show. So looking at the debut record, um, it was kind of the opportunity to go like, and we're going to do a tour around it, all that sort of stuff. The initial plan was to have Splendor be the first date of the tour, which would have been. Yeah an amazing thing to do. Um, but when stuff started going back, we were like, we could release this album in the middle of question mark while we don't know what stuff is, but we felt it like we felt like it was best to wait until, until we knew at least a little bit more about where we were going. Cause in that early stage, like in March, when no one really knew what COVID was going to do, you know, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And as stuff starts getting pushed back further and further and um, all these things are happening, we were, I think we were kind of lucky to be in the position where we could push it back because I think um, it's resulted in a variety of changes. Like there's more songs out from the record than we had planned like yeah we released more songs ahead of the album release which i think we probably wouldn't have done that if it had come out sooner because you know like we wouldn't have had the pressure to release as many songs prior um but i'm still glad we did because it gives us the opportunity to tell more of a story leading towards the record and now that we're by the time this is out it's going to be a world in which everyone has it and can understand all the songs as part of a larger whole. I'm just like incredibly excited for that. So it's like, we weren't really looking at delaying the record from a like, and this is going to change the production. This is going to change the, this and then that, like we did a lot of the mixing was done in lockdown, but we do that via correspondence anyway, because our yeah. mixer lives in Byron. So that was always going to be via correspondence, but adding on, lighters in particular and having quit be a part of album one i think may have been because of lockdown which uh, you know i'm incredibly um i'm incredibly excited that those songs can be a part of album one because yeah it, yeah it, i think it's super interesting that that's the way you've kind of crafted your year I guess and and again we go back to finding the positives of this really stressful year that everyone's had like we've got all these great things happening because people have had to be resourceful and that also goes into you know potentially creating a divisive part of your record on a debut record which is I think just fun. Like I, I really like the song. Let's just say that really quickly now. Yeah, I'm not um, saying like it's like the like the most experimental weirdest thing in the world. It's just like 
it being in the context so, of the record, it's it is quite different. But yeah, do you think that also signals uh, or can signal to your fans where they might hear you experiment in the future? That's an interesting one because I had, um, I think it was potentially a Brian Eno quote. Um, about how if you're going to be a band that explores genre, the sooner you introduce that, the better. Because your audience is going to understand that that's part of your creative practice. And I think we had kind of alluded through the singles we put out in the past, like going from uh, DFTM to Two Hearts to Robert Smith to Obvious, probably told our audience that you can expect a bunch of different stuff from us. Yeah. But I think that the the um, the spectrum to which those songs exist um, has now been widened with the inclusion of songs like Lighters. So I think we're, we're in a position where Heather and I creatively feel like we can do whatever we want as long as it's honest. Yeah. So we feel like uh, it's honest and it does and we think it earns it earns someone's attention we never want to be putting out stuff that we're like no you have to buy into us to enjoy this or like to find this interesting we always want to be in a position where we're like earning people's attention um and a big part of that is making sure that we're satisfied with it creatively which means that we're being honest in it so having having some of the songs on the record which are doing really different things um I think I'm just really excited for that, for what that means for our audience to understand the scope of like where we can go and where we intend to go. You know, like it, it's such a funny thing to be looking at the release of album one, this thing that we put three years of effort into, and then just to be excited about what it means for the next stuff. You know, like it's, <laughs> um, it, it it's like in itself it's like this thing that i'm incredibly proud of and i'm incredibly excited for it to be an album in people's hands especially the vinyl but i'm really excited for what it means for our audience to see a a um collected work from us and to yeah. understand a little bit more about the scope at which we want to work yeah and i it is the nature of releasing music isn't it and coming from uh, you know, a, a history of having managed bands a lot, you know, you all build up to this big thing that you do and then it's almost like the day after you do that thing, you're immediately onto the next thing and it's this constant building to a climax and then falling away and then building to that climax again for however totally. long. It could be years, it could be months and it's just, I don't know, it's just I think that a while, yes, it's exciting that that record can then indicate what the future means or what the future might mean. We also need to bask in this hard work a little bit more too. Like, I don't think we totally. do that enough. And and this is why, like, I talk about how I, I still listen to that Odette record on repeat and Gordy's records on repeat and the DMA's record from earlier this year. Like, people still love that stuff and we still need to appreciate it. It shouldn't always have to be about... And that the sounds so cycle. ironic... Yeah, because yeah, I this is a new this music is the podcast, podcast for that. Yeah, no, uh, I, but, I completely understand yeah. what you mean, which is why I'm so excited about the 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 medium of delivery that is the album, because the album exists in a world where we have this reverence towards it, whether or not it's fully earned or not. TBC, but 
we, as music consumers, we, like, if, if you go onto an artist's Wikipedia page, you see the albums as the primary thing, right? Or if you're on Spotify or your DSP of choice, you see the albums as, like, there's the single, like, the most popular singles and then the albums. And then, for better and for worse, EPs are underneath all of that. Yeah. And I, I love the EP platform for a lot of different people. Um, but for us, being able to put the definitive statement of like first era of Cry Club ex- that existed from the start till, you know, November 13th, 2020, here is the definitive statement that it can exist for however long it exists for. And it can be the thing that we spent, you know, we did this interview about the record and they were like, how do you, how would you describe the record? And I said, two idiots almost ruined their lives trying to make 12 good songs. Because when it comes to how much we put into this fucking thing, my God. And I'm incredibly, I'm so sorry to, to give you the, the laugh while <laughs> you're right. <laughs> so much, Joe. <laughs> but like being in a position where we can put in as much effort as we can physically muster I, it just means that I'm going to be able to be pr- as proud of it as I am. Like, the idea I can look back on it in a year or two and go, like, wow, that was the statement that we made then. And there's a full stop on it. Like, that's yeah. the thing. I'm so incredibly excited about that because once you hit that point at which you put out your debut album, that's the moment where, like, that's the f- like the first big collected thing. Like, that's the first big moment where people, for better and for worse, like, when whenever we do whatever we do after the al- first album, people are going to be able to have the discussion about, is it as good as the first one? I preferred their <laughs> previous work to their current work. All of that sort of stuff. But for as many positives and negatives come with that, the idea that we can have this collected thing that can be something to someone is just so exhilarating to me the world in which the album can exist uh, well as something on someone's shelf you know like yeah as an object they have but also something that like I, I I think I mentioned in the before we started recording that like or maybe I can't remember when it was but um like every release or everything we do is like an opportunity to tell more of our story so being able to do that as like the album is like such a collected moment where it's like releasing individual singles has been great for us, but we were always leading towards an album because we were trying to make a collected statement. Um, And the size of an album and how that works means that it's, I don't want to say that it's more of a definitive statement, but I'm just excited for a world in which people can look back in X amount of years and go, that was Cry Club, Cry Club's debut album. And here's the left and right of it and assess it from, it, it almost makes it more chronologically important. The fact that it's an album, well, you know, I think it does because EPs, uh, they definitely serve a purpose, but I think less so now that most of our music is consumed via streaming. Um, yeah. EPs serve the purpose of experimentation um, Mm. where you're still trying to work out who you are and what you want to be and, you know, for people who can't necessarily afford to put their life into a full album yet, 
Whereas an album is like, this is who we are. It's yeah. not, what do you think of this maybe being who I am? Which is, I think, what an EP is. I, obviously, uh, where in your career you release an EP is, oh, clean, bold. Sorry, I'm still watching the cricket. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, obviously, where in your career you release an EP uh, says a different thing about you. Like, I speak a lot on International Marmalade about Jax Anderson, who did had released a, her debut album and then went back and released an EP um, after a long period of time of, yeah. I guess, self-discovery is the wanky way of saying it, but you get what I mean. Yeah. And now has gone on to do another album. So it's about, you know, reassessing maybe, whereas an album is more of a statement and EP is just kind of releasing music. Yeah. And, like, yeah. there have been people who have been able to really um, capitalise on the format of the EP. Like, I always think about the the Is Is EP that was released by um, uh, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, which yeah. is, like, some of their, like, darker post-punk stuff that they released before they did the big pop record. Yeah. And uh, that strikes me as a really interesting use of that to tell a story. But... I think this is where that that interesting thing for us, where choosing to do an album first as the like primary like, and we've got an album, is like, it kind of like the the like choosing to tell our own story and what that means. Like, uh, the Australian landscape of how artists have kind of capitalized on the way that consumers seem to like stuff in Australia is the classic path of a couple of EPs, then a debut album, and then you're on the album path from there. And it's a not to say that anyone who's done that has done anything wrong, but yep. it is a path that exists in Australian music. It's something that exists as a thing that people do. Mm-hmm. So for us, when we were looking at our catalogue of songs, going like, what's the first thing going to be? It was immediately an album because it felt like we were in a position where there's a bunch of different factors, but being in a position where, you know, luckily, like financially, obviously we're going to be reeling from it for quite a while, but (laughs) uh, what it means as a thing to say to our audience, it feels like it's the right time to be saying something of this scale. Like, outside of what it means artistically to put out an album and what it means for the longevity of the songs and all this sort of stuff. A big thing for us has been actually, if you were to, if you were to sit down a bunch of cry club fans and ask them what song you want from us next, pretty much all of them are going to say a different song. Yeah. From the they are, all the singles have been so different. Yeah. And when, well, now we can talk about the context of the album being out is that don't go audience favorite because that's been a staple of the set for a really long time um there's a lot of people one step has been our like an intro song like the first song of the set of ours for quite a long while so there's a lot of people who know us because of that song and then releasing dissolve ahead of the album was like that was one like every time we would announce a new single people would be like oh is it dissolve and it's like (laughs) you know like there's these things that like if we were to release an EP and have that be the thing that is the full stop on Cry Club Era 1, we would be 
thro- potentially throwing away songs that mean a lot to our audience, which would yeah. suck. Like it would really suck if we were in a position where certain songs on the record, which were some people's favorite songs, are not released, you know, or don't exist in a recorded format. Like yeah. I, I'm always reminded of when I was like playing in bands in Wollongong growing up and some of my favorite bands just never got around to recording their best material for whatever reason. And I, feel I am, yeah, I, I think of stuff like that in absolute terror where I, I think that's part of why I'm a recording engineer is I'm all about the archival process. Like I'm really great with file organization <laughs> <laughs> and like it's having the album and having all of these songs that mean certain things to people, which is the great thing. And the thing I'm incredibly grateful for is the world in which we've got these songs, which exist past us is that in having them in an album format, they are given the opportunity to exist past us in a new way. Yeah. They're given the opportunity to be something more to someone that I might not even know personally. And it might mean something to someone in a way that I might never be able to fully understand. Like, yeah, people have, people have taken readings to quit, which I never would have predicted, but I'm like incredibly grateful that they, felt enough out of that song emotionally to come to their own conclusion with it, you know, which I, yeah, I I find like, that's the, one of the biggest compliments you could give an artist is coming to a conclusion about a song that they may not predict like that. That feels like it, it means that someone's caring about the, the work itself enough to the point where they're coming to their own conclusions. Like I, I, I find it so satisfying. Yeah, that's super interesting because I think there's probably a lot of fans as well who will come to a conclusion about a song and be afraid to express that because they're worried that it's not the conclusion the artist had written it about. Yeah, which I I often think about like what it means for like authorial intent. Like say we've released songs that have been about very specific things like Walk Away was about the plebiscite. Like I remember like walking out the studio that I worked at in Sydney to see a skywriter um, saying, you know, vote no and all this sort of yeah. stuff. And DFTM is very obviously about personal boundaries being crossed. I feel like I should say that I wore my, I had been wearing my don't fucking touch me t-shirt for the past two days and then <laughs> made a weird choice not to wear it today. <laughs> But yeah, like having released these songs, which are about really specific things, like even if that means something different to someone else, that's fine. But to be in a world where given the fact that we're in album territory means that we can do stuff that can exist outside of a single format, which means that we can put out songs that may not work in the format of a single. Like, for example, Wish. Wish would have been a really weird song for us to put out as a single. <laughs> but that was a song from very early on for us, which a lot of our fans that were in the like more shoegazy crowd really attached themselves to. But we couldn't actually play as part of the set for a really long amount of time because for the longest time we've had half hour like sprint sets 
where it's yeah. like we just have to give you the most we can give you in half an hour so sorry you're not getting a slow song <laughs> but with an album and you realistically have the capacity to do that yeah it's only 12 minutes more than a half hour set but we in having someone's attention for that time we're able to explore this stuff in a way that now we'll be able to bring it like we were doing quit uh, sorry we were doing wish as part of the album tour because we yep. were doing 45 to an hour long sets and um for that to now exist as something that someone can have is like incredibly exciting to me and i think we should also mention that you know uh cry club has always been theatrical and dramatic and uh big in the way that they've done things so it would have probably been weird for you to release an ep yeah it it feels like it's not not bi- as big of enough of a statement from like a like it's not dumb enough like <laughs> it's like we've got to do the most ridiculous thing that we could do in any given moment and to be a band that started you know a couple of years ago and to release our debut album as the first thing that we would do and all of this sort of stuff it just feels like the cry club thing to do to be as ridiculous <laughs> well as um you know shooting shooting high i guess is probably a bad uh way of phrasing it but you know aiming big because why not yeah i think if there's one thing that you could describe us as i think over ambitious <laughs> <laughs> oh, it hurts so much don't do this to me <laughs> yeah like where i think we're very invested in being as much as we can be and taking as many risks as we can like if we put out something that we felt was like a safe bet that we were like obviously we're very proud of the record and we're very happy with how it's ended up but i can i feel comfort in knowing that it's not the record for everyone and i think we kind of allude to that in the album art like if you look at the album art and go like oh that's probably a bit much yeah the album's probably not for you (laughs) whereas i think it is remarkable (laughs) yeah therefore the music's probably meant for you a bit more like yeah in it being in us even packaging the record as ridiculously as we have kind of shows how theatrical how camp some of the songs are you know like some of the songs go to a place of theatricality that you know but also i think think it indicates creativity it's not just about the theatrics it's you know you're creatives and therefore what you've done is creative totally well this is an interesting place to be where now we're in in releasing a debut record our catalog is now being discussed from a like uh i don't want to say like a higher perspective but like we're able to have these like uh, more broad conversations about the songs because previously releasing singles meant we would be co- talking about what the single means to us, how yeah. it was done, all of this sort of stuff. But we're now able to have these like higher concept conversations about what it means to be releasing art or it, like what it means to be releasing an album and all that sort of stuff because we have this body of work that's out in the wild. There's like a wider set of conversations that can exist around us 
now because yeah. it's an album, which is a really interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm just so terrified and excited and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. It's incredible. I, I get the terrified thing, but uh, from an outside perspective, no need to be scared. It's going to go swimmingly, <laughs> I think. Thank um, you. <laughs> and, you know, by the time this podcast is out, it will be out. And I expect everyone to have listened to it or be ready to listen to it. Um, and that's me with my stern voice on to all the yeah. listeners. Um, <laughs> You've got to do this. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to find you, pre-order the record or, well, order the record, buy the record. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, again, it'll be out by the time this comes out. Um, where can they find you or find it? Um, probably the best place to find us is on Instagram. Um uh, from there, we've got the, our like link in bio situation, which will take you to wherever you need to go. Um, so our our album stuff is on Sound Merch if you want to get it. We'll be on Spotify wherever you are or whatever platform you use. Um, yep. Yeah. Just look up Cry Club everywhere and, and we... we'll most likely be the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> can we remind everyone that it is called God, I'm Such a Mess? Oh, yes. Um, we haven't said that yet. <laughs> which is an excellent album name. Um, what if people want to just chat to you personally, Jono? Is there a way they can do that? Yes, you can find me on. Uh, I'm on. T- I live on Twitter now. Apparently, I'm. <laughs> Welcome my... to my world. <laughs> yeah, I'm Jono took J O N O took what on Twitter. That's probably the best place to find me. Um, Perfect. I and also we do. Uh, I will see if we continue doing it, but we do Monday night Mario Kart. So if you want to play <laughs> Mario Kart with me on Mondays. We do that via the Cry Club account. <laughs> I have a question about that, actually. Yeah. Is it true that Heather's been banned? Heather's not banned from it. It's just uh, it. It's um, we tried a few different times of just having both of us on it, but it feels like the Mario Kart thing is like the chill stream, <laughs> and I want Heather to do their own one where they do the like the the chaotic them playing video games and that high energy thing. But I think it's for us um, having a a piece of content that is cry club that is chill is a different yep. thing. <laughs> Considering the and rest Heather of our is stuff just is decidedly unchill. <laughs> um, oh, the best. I wanted to hear it from the other side of the story because Heather yeah. told me they were banned. Um, and I it's wanted more, to hear your version. It's more curated, let's say. <laughs> We try and make it a chill thing where I'm like, you you it's can do your own curious. one if you want, but I just want one where I'm like talking close to the mic and we're just having a chill time and we're most likely talking about video game design. <laughs> That's that You've got sports that you talk about endlessly. For me, it's video game design because I find it endlessly interesting. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, as most listeners would know, I have an older brother who is you know, a genius who is a web developer and fucking loves video games. And um, every time I have spoken to him in the past, you know, lockdown period, so seven months, um, he's told me that he's still playing Monster Hunter. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but cool. Have fun with that. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Monster Hunter is what he plays. Yeah. Um, okay. So people can find you on Twitter. If they want to find Cry Club, Instagram's the best place to go. All of that will be linked in the show notes below this episode as well. Please go and listen to this record. Um, if you want to find Australian Jams, it's at Australian Jams 
uh, on both Twitter and Instagram and, you know, Facebook, but no one likes Facebook. Um, and me personally, if you want to hear football opinions, you can absolutely find me at GL Bastiani on Twitter. That is where I write a lot about women's footy, women's sport. So please support women's sport and come and talk to me about it there. Now, Jono. Yes. Can we, uh, are we allowed to finish this episode off with a bit of dissolve? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you give me a tiny little bit of insight just into what Dissolve is and so people can uh, get the feel for it before we play it? Yeah, so Dissolve was my version of going like, I want like a big dance punk song. I want it to be like, like I grew up, the like I was in high school when the presets were the big thing. And yep. I remember that being such a thing. And for me, I was like, okay, I haven't listened to the presets in a long time. What if it was like a punk band doing a preset song? What if it was like, we tried to do the big dramatic dancey thing and all of this sort of stuff. And that's what Dissolve was to me. And it kind of turned into a different thing in the live environment where it became kind of our, one of our calling cards um, yeah. in a live space. Um, so then for the longest time, it was the song when, Dissolve When was the fan reaction. When is it coming out? <laughs> when is it happening? So it's, it feels great to have it actually out in the wild and have it to be in people's hands. So, yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute joy. Um, I could honestly talk to you about music all day, but I won't take <laughs> up more of your time. I also have to edit this, so uh, oh, I don't want that. it to be much longer because I hate editing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've gone for um, about an hour and a half, so good luck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are worse things. I've just got a backlog of editing that I need to do that I haven't done. It's my own fault. Blame no yep. one else. Um, thank you so much. Uh, everyone, please go and listen to Cry Club's record, God, I'm Such a Mess. And all the artists that we've talked about today. I've been Gemma Bastiani, as always. I will be back in another two weeks with that interview with Eilish Gilligan that I am promising. Um, otherwise, please just enjoy this part of Dissolve by Cry Club, which is our outro music today. Catch you guys. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 